Hello, I'm Matthew Holhouse, MLEX's correspondent covering the UK's changing relationship with the European Union. Welcome to this new addition to MLEX's series of podcasts. The Brexit divorce is entering its most sensitive and dangerous phase. Between now and Christmas, the UK and the EU must seal an agreement to terminate the country's four decades of membership and lay the ground for a new trade and security agreement. But talks face collapse over the vexed question of how to avoid a customs and regulatory border between Ireland and the UK. Both sides warn that the risk of a messy, no-deal exit is rising unless cool heads prevail. Countries around the world are watching anxiously, but perhaps none more so than Japan, which has long regarded the UK as the ideal foothold for trade in Europe. My colleague, MLEX senior reporter Sachiko Sakamaki, has been following developments in Tokyo. Sachiko, hello from London. Hi, Matthew. Greeting from Tokyo. Let's set the scene. The Brexiteers say that Britain's departure from the EU is an opportunity to trade more freely with the world. So why is Japan so worried? Well, in Japan, the level of concern is rising after the warnings from both the EU and the UK about a possible no-deal scenario. Japan has a big stake in the UK. It's the second biggest destination for the Japanese foreign direct investment after the US. As much as 38% of Japan's foreign direct investment in the EU goes straight into the UK. In other words, the UK has been a gateway to the EU for many Japanese companies. That's why the Japanese government and business lobbies have been unusually vocal about Brexit, appealing for a minimal impact on businesses and the world economy at large. In September 2016, the government of Shinzo Abe issued a Japanese message to the EU and the UK. It's an 11-page wish list that includes requests for a transition period, continued UK-EU trade free from tariffs and customs duties, and transparent negotiation processes. We know the EU is preparing to ratify a trade agreement with Japan. How does that coincide with Brexit? Japanese and EU leaders signed a free trade agreement in July. They are aiming to implement that accord by March 2019, ideally before Brexit. When British Prime Minister Theresa May visited Japan in August last year, she and Prime Minister Abe agreed that a new trade deal between Japan and the UK would be based on the final terms of the Japan-EU Economic Partnership Agreement. I understand that the diplomatic preparations for such a post-Brexit deal are now underway. If there's any positive outcome of Brexit at all for Japan, it may be that the UK seems interested in joining the trade deal that's replaced the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Donald Trump pulled the US out of the TPP and the trade deal now known as the Comprehensive Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, has been signed. I'm sure Japan would wholeheartedly welcome the UK's participation in that new trade deal to help fill the void left by the US. Apart from anything else, that would help counter China's growing influence. However, it's essentially an appealing prospect for the future 
after the UK gets to work on its trade deals with other non-EU countries. So that's a fairly clear path for possible scenarios for the future. How is the current stalemate in Brussels complicating all of that? Right now, companies are getting more worried and frustrated over the lack of clear direction on post-Brexit arrangements. The Japanese government and Japanese companies know that it's time for businesses to make specific preparations based on their individual needs, but details on the new trade arrangements and details of the regulatory regimes that we operate are in short supply. Toyota, for example, said that it needs to, quote, understand more quickly the practical arrangements of a final trading relationship. A Hitachi spokesman told me that the company may need to consider new procurement arrangements for components for its train business in the UK, but it cannot make practical preparations because final arrangements for tariffs and customs are up in the air. There are numerous regulatory changes that Japanese companies must prepare for, from so-called type approval for automobiles, to pharmaceutical regulations, to the EU's strict reach rules on chemical products. But once again, many aspects of the final regulatory arrangements are unclear, making it hard for Japanese companies to take any action. Well, we, we know that the UK has been a landing zone uh, for the EU for Japanese companies right back to when Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher lured Nissan to, to set up a factory in the UK in the 1980s. So, so how, are, how are these companies responding to the current impasse? The first trend is relocation. The financial sector was the first to shift some functions away from the UK. Many financial sector companies started applying for licenses in continental Europe last year so they can continue to provide banking, securities, and insurance services in the EU after Brexit. Brokerage group Nomura said in June that its new Frankfurt-based operation had won approval to start doing a securities business in the EU. A company spokesman told me that it's planning to shift some staff from London to Germany. According to a survey by the Japan External Trade Organization, Germany is the most popular destination for Japanese companies after Brexit, followed by the Netherlands. They are transferring such functions as sales, management, and production. Recently, electronics giant Panasonic said it's moving its European headquarters from a London suburb to Amsterdam. That's happening in October, which is just around the corner. So relocation is spreading from the financial sector to manufacturing industry. In terms of regulatory changes, Japanese companies' responses seem more subtle, partly due to lack of details, even in the European Commission's notices and regulators' the guidances. Japanese pharmaceutical company Eizai is transferring its product licenses from the UK to another office in Europe, and is moving some staff dealing with drug quality and safety rules from Britain to the EU. Chemical companies must find new representatives to handle regulatory compliance with REACH rules in the EU's 27 member states. Regarding automobiles, 
the European Commission has issued a notice saying that the automakers must register types of vehicles marketed in the EU in one of the EU's 27 states. Toyota said it's considering various options, including seeking type approval in the EU, but hasn't publicly announced its decision. So this is a basic picture of how Japanese companies are dealing with Brexit. I understand that the British government has shown a willingness to listen to Japanese companies' concerns, for example, by inviting Japanese corporate leaders to a roundtable discussion at Downing Street. Matthew, I'd like to ask you, how else is the UK government responding to the concerns of Japanese companies? So, we can see the UK government's response to the concerns of Japanese uh, industry uh, and uh, industry more widely in its white paper, which sets out the, the government's sort of official negotiating stance uh, for, uh, for, for the future relationship. Um, and in some ways, this paper is, is a real triumph for, for companies that have, have been raising the concerns that, um, that, that you describe. Um, it stresses the importance of protecting the uh, integrated supply chains uh, between the UK and the EU. So it proposes effectively staying in the single market uh, for for goods, so chemicals, pharmaceuticals, the manufacturing of electronics, of of uh, aviation, uh, of, sorry, of aeronautics, of of cars. Um, and, and the paper stresses in, in a paragraph which uh, ha hasn't been terribly well noted, it, it says that uh, the, the development of this common rulebook um, would support the UK's ongoing attractiveness as a destination for foreign direct investment for overseas firms. Uh, because something the UK government hasn't really drawn attention to since the Brexit vote is that for 25, 30 years, the basis of encouraging investment in the UK was to take advantage of the EU single market, and and they're trying to hang on to that. So in that sense, the the Checkers paper is is a victory for these companies, but in the other sense, it, it it's it's a failure because from the EU's point of view, Checkers is completely uh, unworkable. They don't like the idea of remaining partly in the single market for 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 goods and not for services. They say it's it's all or nothing. And in failing to shift the British government's position to remain to remaining in the in the single market and the customs union entirely, uh, they fall short of that because now you're looking at a more a more conventional uh, free trade agreement, which isn't actually going to meet, you know, the, the the concerns of Japanese companies in terms of single regulatory approvals for chemicals, for pharmaceuticals, for for type approvals for cars. So the UK government is trying its best to uh, cater to the needs of the Japanese and other countries' uh, companies, but how are other non-EU countries dealing with Brexit? It seems to me from London that, that the approach of the uh, of Japanese government and Japanese industry is different to to what we're seeing from from other countries' uh, approaches. In in that Japan has been so vocal in, in stressing the, the the importance of of, of single market and the customs union, all the all the rights uh, granted by that. If we compare that to, example, uh, Australia, which, like Japan, has investments in the UK that use London as a base to reach the rest of, of the EU. But actually, the big push that we're seeing from the, the from the Australian government and particularly from the Australian farming lobby is is to break with the customs union, break with the single market, because that because particularly agricultural exports see uh, see a prize there in being able to. 
uh, have a UK which has lower tariffs uh, than the EU, has a different um, plant and animal health regime uh, from the EU, enabled to be able to access the, the, the UK's agricultural market, which hitherto has been uh, sort of protected as, as part of the EU's. Um, on the other hand, we, we see the, the United States. Now, as far as the Trump administration has any policy towards Brexit beyond you know, general support, there is a push for um, divergence. So, so the, you know, the, the, the United States Department of Commerce has, has called for a break over the UK to break with the EU's chemicals regime, to break with uh, particularly its, rule, its rules in plant and animal health, to break with its rules on uh, car car safety because they again they see the opportunity to break into a UK market which hitherto has been sort of shielded from from uh, US products because of the European product standards which which in many sectors are difficult for American companies to match so in many ways Japan is we, we see a difference in the way that Japan is approaching this to other countries and obviously that plays into the debate in the UK because uh, which countries lawmakers say you should listen to depends obviously on what side of the Brexit argument that they're on. Sochko, thank you very much for, indeed for sharing your insights. It was a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you too, Matthew. And thanks also to our listeners. If you'd like to read our reporting on the Brexit challenge faced by Japanese companies and businesses around the world, you can find it on our website. Head to mlexmarketinsight.com, click on Insight Center, then click on Editor's Picks. I'm Sachiko Sakamaki. And I'm Matthew Holhouse. See you back here soon for another MLEX podcast. Mm-hmm.